everybody, and welcome to No Chick Like Moments. I am your co-host, Jeremy. And I'm your other co-host, B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast. Hi! Hi! Welcome back. Welcome back. B, how was your mm-hmm. week? Oh, my God. It's too much. It's just too much. Everything... I got asked by a family friend on the weekend that saw me scrolling social media and they're like, did you learn anything new? I'm like, nope, the world's still on fire. Oh my gosh. (laughs) He was like, you know what? Good point. Yeah. How about you, Remy? How are things going? It's going all right. Going pretty good. Just Mm -hmm. uh, trucking along the height of the summer right now. So enjoy while it lasts. Yeah, happy August. (laughs) Okay, but what are we doing here today, right now? What are we doing? Well, this is Supernatural, and we're talking about Supernatural. And today, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, No Exit. No, yes. Yes. (laughs) I was about to say, oh shit, I'm on the wrong notes. We should be talking about Episode 5. And I'm like, no, be You saying that, I was like, oh no, did I watch the wrong show? (laughs) I was like, oh no, I'm not, we're not on no exit. We should be watching Simon Says. And I'm like, no, you talked about that last week. What are you doing? We've already been in that time loop where we were convinced that we already <laughs> recorded Simon Said. And now you're like taking it, flipping it, and reversing it. I don't even think that I talked about it how oh, when we did record for Simon Said, how it took you about 20 minutes pre-recording to talk me down convinced me that we did not we did not in fact already record for simon said and i was just having some weird deja vu that mm-hmm. i was so mm-hmm. i was i was so discombobulated that we had recorded it and then deleted it and both of us had lost our individual <laughs> recording files <laughs> no and no, any firm recollection and any firm recollection that the recording actually happened. But somehow I was still convinced that it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay, so today we're talking about episode six, No Exit. Yes. Which was an episode that was written by Matt Witten and directed by Kim Manners. Matt Witten. Now, have we seen anything from him in season one? We have not. And you know what? Typically when I see a new name, I go and I look up uh, to see how long they've stuck around for. But I didn't do that for Matt. Sorry, Matt. I mean, so be it. I mean, (laughs) as we'll see, this is an episode that we saw with our eyes and there are some good elements in it. I don't think it's a bad episode, but is it memorable? Not top 10 for me. No, no. Very, very Monster of the Week this week, which is fine. Yes, yes. The original air date for this episode was November 2nd, 2006. And are you ready for the synopsis, B? Is it going to be a long one? Mm, Nope, nope. Relatively short this week. Are we pulling a children shouldn't play with dead things and (laughs) talking about a completely different episode? Uh, let's find out. Okay. Tagline. (laughs) Sam and Dean meet the ghost of America's first serial killer. Sam and Dean investigate the brutal slayings of blonde women from an apartment building and discover the demon responsible is the ghost of the first serial murderer, H.H. Holmes. 
Meanwhile, defying her mother's wishes, Joe follows the Winchesters on their hunt and ends up getting captured by the ghost and buried alive. Pretty okay. Good, yeah. I mean, points for effort. I'd give a C grade. You know, you're passing. Oh, I hope Matt didn't write that. <laughs> no, I don't think that I don't think that the writers write the synopses. I don't think so either. So, with that in mind, should we just jump into the episode? Let's do it. Okay. So, the recap begins with um, reminders of the Harvells and John's history with them. So, little clue as to what content is going to be dropping in this episode. Mm-hmm. We even get a callback to Sam's uh, wonderings. Do you think that dad was, like, with Ellen? Which, I mean, Sam. <laughs> Come on, Sam. Take your shot. We want it Come for on, you. you. Yeah. You need Don't it. let potentially trodden roads dissuade <laughs> you from the end goal here. Keep your eye on the prize. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we start off in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with a woman in an apartment. She is complaining over the phone about her apartment's faulty wiring she spots some black ooze dripping from the ceiling and hears thumping in the walls. When she goes over to a wall socket, I guess like an open light switch socket? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was complaining about the wiring. I would be complaining too if it's like, oh, you mean I could electrocute myself on this? Mm -hmm. cool. Which was, which she's on the phone with her, I guess, landlord or the... Um, uh, the apartment building supervisor and she's saying something like uh this was supposed to be fixed before i got here no come up and fix it now so yeah. i mean i don't know it seems like yeah she 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 probably does think it's the wiring given open outlets yeah except when she's staring into this open outlet she sees more of that black goo oozing from it and when she leans in, she finds a bloodshot eye staring back at her. B, if you saw some sludgy black ooze seeping out of your walls, would your first instinct be to get your face closer to? I said think black I can ooze? safely say no. No, not my first instinct. Yeah. And, like, if I peer into a hole in the wall and I see someone peering back and, like, I realize in that moment I am Lauren Cohen starring in The Boy, I'm getting the <laughs> fuck out of there. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ugh. Not the best instincts on this one. No. And, I mean, it really sucks. This is a home invasion feeling vibe that's not, not a great place. But there we are. Time to cut back to Sam and Dean, and they're preparing for a quote-unquote case in L.A. Um, Dean's making some pop culture quip to Katie Holmes and the cult of Scientology. Why is... Tell me more, because Dean and Sam at the roadhouse, they, I assume, are are at the roadhouse to try to sniff out a, a case, see if um, the Harvels and the little bit of a hunter network that they have going on, if they, they seemed like they had nothing to do, right? So here's Dean and he's setting up, uh, he's trying to pitch Sam on this new case. He says, look, listen, 
Los Angeles, a young girl gets kidnapped by a, uh, a freaky cult or something like that. Oh, what's the girl's name? Katie Holmes. Ooh, good one, Dean. Yeah, really. That, that's that's good. Good for you. Yeah. But yeah, this this is a topical reference that he's making to this time period. I didn't get it. I missed the reference. No. no? You don't remember Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch? No. No? Okay. No. Well, basically, this is around the same time era that Katie Holmes started dating, maybe got married to Tom Cruise, and they have a kid, and, you know, Cruise and his Scientology. So here we have... Um, I mean, Katie was in Dawson's Creek. Jensen was in Dawson's Creek. So maybe there's some sort of connection that they're trying to make there. But otherwise, it's just catchphrase. Like, it's just making a pop culture quip for the hell of it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, last week, uh, they made a O.J. Simpson reference, which I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and that's like, okay, you're, you're 10 years out. But this one is, like, right relevant to the time era and kind of puts a date stamp on it. Funny, funny, funny. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. This is the less you want to know with B. <laughs> well, well, not a real case, as Sam makes obvious. No, no. So I guess they're, like I said, at the roadhouse to um, maybe get a lead on something. Um, but as soon as they exit the Impala, they hear um, the brewings of an argument happening yes. inside the bar. Yeah. And sure enough, inside the roadhouse, Ellen and Joe are fighting about something when Sam and Dean do uh, intrude in an untimely manner. <laughs> There's also some tourists showing up who abruptly excuse themselves upon the tone that this uh, fight is setting for the building. A whole family, wife, husband, kid, and a baby in these bright yellow shirts. I mean, I thought this was hilarious and very Kim Manners. Um, Bright yellow shirts says... Nebraska is for lovers uh, stamped on these these shirts so marking them as as tourists and they come in and are are you guys open? No! Yes! Yes. (laughs) Ellen and Uh, Joe can't even agree on that. uh, Okay. We'll we'll just go check out the Arby's down the road. I'm like, that should be your instinct anyways. Like, why are you going with two little kids to a bar in, like, the middle of the day? I don't know. <laughs> it's a roadhouse. They probably have burgers. I mean, maybe. But you, we've seen the outside of this building, right? <laughs> we've seen all the motorcycles parked outside of it. It seems to be in the middle of nowhere. I don't know. I just, again... The juxtaposition between this family of four and the roadhouse, I was like, oh my gosh, you couldn't have made a bigger fish out of water. (laughs) That's why it was funny. I mean, tea. Hmm. The phone in the roadhouse rings and Ellen resigns herself to answering it. And in the meantime, Joe implores Sam and Dean to hear her out about the case in Philadelphia. There's been six women, all blondes, all vanished from the same building over the course of 80 years. And the latest was a week ago. So Dean asks if this research was put together by Ash, 
since Joe is handing him this big folder, but she's telling him that she did it herself. And, um, yeah, in the past minute or so, we have heard the flavor, I should say overheard, the flavor of the argument that Joe and uh, Ellen were having, which was that um, Ellen is adamant at keeping joe away from hunting and Mm -hmm. joe seems like she is wanting to strike out and go on these hunts and um get more involved in the life uh that ellen uh tries to kind of put a pin in it and say no i won't let you go i don't want you to go you know we this family's already lost enough yeah and she's offering Joe these alternatives. Like, you could go back to school, but Joe is yelling that she's always felt like a freak in that environment. Like, she was the kid with the knife collection. It doesn't feel like it fits her any better than any other options. Like, she feels like hunting is for her. Mm-hmm. And Ellen just cannot abide by it. Right. Right. So, so there's, yeah, Joe has put together this case, these women, uh, in Philadelphia and Sam and Dean seem to agree with her that this is a case. It could be a case. Um, Dean is impressed by how thorough the file seems to be. And, and Sam says that, you know, Hey, we've hit the road for less. So this seems like a good lead. And Ellen now off the phone, uh, says, Oh, you know what? You, you think it's a case? You take it then. Good. Exactly. Joe, you're staying here and Joe, you know, it's her case. No mom, I'm going to, but that's when, uh, Ellen totally just cuts, shuts it down and says, no, this family's lost enough. I'm not going to lose you too. Exactly. So with that note of finality, it seems that Sam and Dean are off on the case by themselves. So they arrive next at the apartment building and they are scoping it out. And Sam still feels kind of bad for poaching Joe's case, but Dean thinks that it's for the best. Yeah, yeah. Dean concedes, hey, she put together a good file, but can you really see her out here? doing one of these things casing one of these these hunts mm-hmm. ah not joe yeah we don't really know why yet he thinks that but um we will find out later in the episode that it's not sexism we swear <laughs> so in this apartment they find no emf but Sam does spot the black goo along the wall or on surfaces, um, and we give it a name. It's ectoplasm. And only terribly malevolent spirits leave that behind, so this is a lead they need to follow. Yes. Now, back in the hallway, they end up crossing paths with a familiar face. It is Joe with the building manager, and she rushes over. She introduces Sam and Dean as her boyfriend and his buddy Sam, 
And um, as she's holding Dean's arm, she still is asking the building manager about the last tenant, why they left, how long ago. It seemed like it was a cut and run about a month ago. And all in all, just Joe and Dean are being a terribly fake couple. (laughs) All gritted teeth and barbed words at each other. Right, because she's trying to get Dean to play along. Honey, did you check out the apartment? What did you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's yeah. still reeling from just seeing her there. And then, oh, this is our cover story. I do not want to make this easy for you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But Joe just powers through. Well, if Dean, if Dino here loves it, then I'm sold. Here you go. And the uh, building manager doesn't ask too many questions because Joe hands over a huge stack of cash. Yep, no receipt either, so... Wrapped up neat. Yeah, and even Sam and Dean seem a bit taken aback by how much cash that is. We'll take it, she said. Yeah. And it looks like she's covering her rent and the rent that he got sift on a month back. Pretty much. So no questions asked. Um, The three of them are allowed into that apartment, and that's where they'll be staying for the case. Yes. But Dean is not happy. No, he cuts right to it. Does Ellen know that Joe is here? But Joe insists that, hey, you know, it's no problem. Uh, Mom thinks that I'm in Las Vegas. I had Ashley, a credit card trail all the way to the casinos. It should be fine. And Dean doesn't really care. He's saying that Joe shouldn't be here, but she's clearly not going to leave. Right, right. I, it was it was funny because um, Joe's like, I'm not stupid. I left a note saying that I was going to Vegas and I had <laughs> Ashley a credit card trail. And Dean's like, yeah, and your mom's going to buy that? And then 30 seconds later, Ellen calls Dean. Um, yeah, Joe left, Joe left a note. I'm not buying it. <laughs> exactly. And he... You can see he wants to just give her up right away. He's holding the phone sort of against his shoulder and having this hissed conversation (laughs) with Joe of like, don't tell her, I'm going to tell her. But in the moment, um, Dean decides to cover for her. And um, after the whispered back and forth, he says that he hasn't seen her. And Joe just seems to smile and thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ellen says... Okay, well, if she does show up, though, you'll send her right packing, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, hon. Thanks, honey. I was like, oh. I know. Ellen is fantastic. I liked this with Dean and Joe, too, because they do the bickering siblings vibe way better than they do the, oh, should, should they, shouldn't they vibe. Yeah, exactly. Like... Even though they're supposed to be a couple in this episode, it still feels very much like you say, it's the sibling vibe. We're not getting bickering couple from them. But bless them, they're going to continue to try pushing that. Um, we get a lore drop. Um, viewing some architect diagrams, Joe says that the building was built in 1924 on an empty field and it was a warehouse until it was recently converted into apartments. There have been zero violent deaths in the past 82 years. 
And Dean challenges her on her research, but she holds her ground. And Sam changes subjects, saying that, you know, if it doesn't seem to be a spirit, maybe it's a cursed object. They'll need to scan the whole building to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's saying, you know, no violent deaths. The history seems clean. Uh, and Dean tries to, tries a gotcha by saying, did you check the, the obituaries, the police files, the yes, yes, yes. And seven other sources. I mm-hmm. am absolutely sure that the history of the building is squeaky clean. And um, Sam mediates and says, okay, well, uh, well if it's, if it's not a violent death then let's look for a cursed object and joe is ready to jump on that she <laughs> basically raises her hand in the air and says "Ooh, i know this one we need to scan the building for emf anywhere that that you know it, pretty much everywhere because a cursed object could be yes. anything so yes. we need to sweep the building yeah and she suggests that they split up but dean is stuck to her like glue Yes. Uh, you know, it'd be faster if we split up. No, 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 no. You think I'm letting you out of my sight? It's bad enough that I lied to your mother. I am not letting... I'm not getting into trouble over you. <laughs> I'm not getting Honestly. grounded. Honestly. And so she and Dean are scanning the top two floors of this building. And she's just so annoyed that Dean is staying so close to her. And it's for the same reason that Dean is doing it. Um, Joe is the spirit's victim flavor of the day. So she's willing to be bait and Dean is completely scoffing at that thought. Yeah. Oh, I'm regretting this more by the minute. And Joe's fed up at this point. She flat out calls him a chauvinist, which Dean refutes, saying that she's just too inexperienced for field work. Yeah, women women got no problem doing the job. Amateurs can't do the job. And you're an amateur. Yeah. yeah. And Joe accuses him of sounding like Ellen. And Dean's proud. He's like, like, that's a bad thing? <laughs> right, because Dean is saying, like, why are you so adamant on this? Why do you want to throw yourself into this life? All you've got... Uh, all you've got are some romantic notions of the hunting life put into your head by a bunch of barflies. And that's when Joe accuses uh, Dean of sounding like her mother. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, to Joe, to Ellen and Dean, she, Joe doesn't know the first thing about what hunting's really like. Uh, and they don't want her, or at least Ellen doesn't want her anywhere ne- near it because it is a dangerous life. And Dean is kind of having the same inclinations, you know? Yes. It's, why do you want to do this? It's, you have a choice. You don't have to choose this life. And it's not um, a life that many would choose. Yeah, and considering that she has options beyond hunting, what is she doing here? And he says, no one in their right mind chooses this life. My dad started me in this when I was so young. I I wish I could do something else. And 
Woof. And he says that, and then and then Joe immediately is like, oh, please, you love the life. And he's like, yeah, I do, but I'm kind of twisted. So yeah. I, I got this. I mean, it's just so funny. It's so funny. And I don't know if it's intentional or what, but there's this consistency in Dean's writing, in Dean's characterization. And I'm picking it up here, same as I, as I was picking it up uh, in Dean's conversation with Gordon in Bloodlust, but Dean just goes along with the the cues that other people are giving him. Like, he's trying yeah. to say, you know, why do you want this life? Uh, my, I didn't have a choice, and you have choices, and only someone crazy would choose this life, you know? My dad started me so young that I, like I said, I don't have a choice. And if he did have a choice, then he would choose something else. Oh, no, but you love it. Yeah, you're right. I do love it. But it's the same thing he does with Sam. He seems to know he has this persona that he is meant to live up to. Like, I don't know. He just is this chameleon where anytime something is true or vulnerable, it's like he has to cover for it. So, yeah. When he's like, hey, this is a true part of me. And someone comes back and is like, no, that's not. Then he's like, oh, you're right. I was just joking. Yes, exactly. It's it's too vulnerable for him. And then he is more than willing to agree with their perspective of him because it's simpler than letting that out. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, It's simpler than doubling down on the thing that has made you vulnerable and it's that's a really relatable thing because who among us hasn't felt that way like making a joke about one of your personal special interests because you're kind of like just trying to get a feel for how people Mm -hmm. react to something that's true about yourself but then going you know being ready to turn turn back on it on a dime and be like oh no i was just joking yeah yeah, ready to refute that part of your identity that you've already kept hidden. Right. So I see that a lot in Dean. In these, I am seeing it a lot in Dean, these early season episodes. Yeah, and especially this one, because we're seeing the dissonance between Joe's memory of her father yeah. and Dean's memory of his father. Like, you could see Joe is grasping for these happy memories with her dad and trying to connect with Dean on that level. And yet when Dean is bringing up these memories, he's guarded about it. Like we're going to see in an upcoming scene when she pushes Dean and is like, wow, your dad must've been proud, huh? Dean's face does not read like, yeah, I think that. And I felt that. And it is a happy memory yeah yeah oh it's very stark how joe she's at she's saying you know well we'll we'll get to it but what when you think about your dad what's the first thing that comes to mind and take the real fondness and joy and remembrance that joe is bringing to her memories of her father to the um utilitarian yeah i would say pain that we see in dean's eyes recalling quote-unquote happy memories yeah 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 we'll we'll get to that but this i feel the juxtaposition that you snagged on where he is you know challenging joe saying you don't want to do this and then she goes but you love it 
it feels natural that Dean would say yes, because he's just not at a place where he is willing to be that vulnerable and challenge Joe on those things. Yeah. Yeah. Those assumptions are just going to stay there. Right. Right. And it's up to us, the viewer, to um, tease apart what's real and what's fiction in Dean, because the people around him are like what he's doing is he's latching onto like you said with joe and with sam and a couple of episodes ago um victor no i'm sorry not victor (laughs) i think i said victor earlier too gordon you said gordon okay gordon (laughs) um i know what's coming next episode and i'm excited No, Gordon, um, they all have their perception of what Dean should be or is in their eyes. And so when Dean leans into it, it's easy for them to ex- to accept it because that's what they were expecting from him. So he is yeah. leaning into what they're expecting from him. But we, the viewer, see see the the moments of truth and the moments of just leaning into the persona. Yeah. And, like, even in this next line of Dean's, we're left to read between the lines because Joe has challenged him, being like, no, you love it. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty twisted. Mm -hmm. But he immediately points out that Joe has a mother who worries about her, who wants something more for her, and that these are good things. You don't throw things like that away. And I can't help but be like, yeah, because... Dean didn't have that. He didn't have a dad that wanted him to do something more than hunting. He didn't have a dad who believed in him in being anything else. So, of course, he's looking at Ellen and her hopes for Joe and feeling that comparison and feeling that absence. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he says, You've, you, you have good things in your life. You have other choices and you don't throw those away because they might be hard to find later. And you really felt that from him because, like you said, he either was never, he didn't have those options that Joe has. He didn't, he didn't have the support that Joe has. He didn't mm-hmm. have those good things. Or in moments where he did have a good thing, he turned away from them because that's what he was expected to do or because he felt he had to. And then he, and then, yeah, like he said, you, sometimes you, when you turn your back on things like that, you don't get them back. You don't get a second chance. Yeah. Because thinking that, okay, if John put these burdens on to Dean and now John is dead, then theoretically Dean has the option to do whatever he wants. But, it's partly that this is the life that he knows and he's comfortable with it. But I think that there's also a layer to it that, you know, he still, he, he wishes that John had wished for more for him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he didn't is almost more reason to just keep doing what he's doing like he's a hunter because that's what john wanted for him he wants his father to have pride or like just these warm emotions for him and now that john's gone he can't get them in any other way besides the legacy his father already placed on him. Yeah. And I think that he genuinely genuinely believes that he himself is too far gone. Yeah. 
there's I think so too. He really thinks that he has closed all the doors and now the path that he's on is the only one that um the only thing he's good for. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't want Joe to end up in the same place that he is right now. Yeah, because if he was, you know, if he could back himself up 50 paces, he may have de- taken different forks in the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't feel like he can do that. Yeah. So there's a lot of levels going on to their little conversation mm-hmm. here. And while they're talking, the point of view changes to floor level, looking through one of these iron grates on the venting. And we see these fingers reaching out and um, they can smell something unnamed in the air. And um, Joe pulls out the EMF reader. She puts it close to the grate and it just starts blowing up. So they determine that they need to scan the vents. Yeah. And and we saw the those ghostly fingers reaching out of the vent, but uh, Joe and Dean didn't, but Joe yeah. felt like she felt something, like a presence yeah. or something. And, yeah. and then they start smelling that smell and the EMF and... Uh, they take the grate off the vent, and Dean gets down to look inside, and he thinks that he sees something in the vent itself. He reaches in, gets, you know, we have this, like, tense moment where, you know, you're Indiana Jones putting mm-hmm. your hand in the in, in the snake's nest or whatever. Yes. But nothing happens, except Dean does come out with a handful of disgusting bloody hair from a scalped woman and it sucks <laughs> and dean's just looking at it like hmm looks like someone's keeping a trophy and i'm like that's not the reaction i would have if i came away from a dark vent with a handful of bloody hair nope sca- i'm like cool we're burning this building down arson <laughs> it's the solution oh my god i've dropped that so fucking fast oh yeah it's not not the what i would reach into a grab bag hoping to get a hold of (laughs) cut to a different apartment with a different blonde woman she is opening her mail she is reacting to some globs of ectoplasm dropping from the roof and the lights flickering in her apartment. We see the plaster crack along the wall and it spreads to the roof. She tries her phone, but it's dead and the door is locked. She can't get out. So we see the fingers in the grate in her apartment. And this time an arm lunges out. It grabs her and reels her in as she screams. This one had slightly better instincts than the, than the last, but she still stood under that cracking ceiling for a distressingly long couple of seconds there. Yeah. Not yeah. A, not what I would have done. No. Again, maybe I would have been like, oh, it's an earthquake, and then been like, all right, <laughs> this is Philadelphia. Maybe that's not what happens here. But, um... <laughs> Cut to the next morning. Dean is sleeping in... I called it the decomposition pose on an armchair. He 
awakens to find Joe already alert and Sam has gone off to get coffee. And so Joe is sitting there researching again. I can just imagine Kim Manners with his camera over Dean contorted on that recliner and like no it doesn't look uncomfortable enough I need you to I need you to <laughs> twist twist your elbow up another like five degrees apparently the trivia is is that this is the same pose as Marty McFly in the back to the future series oh so they were doing a call to that oh. but would I be able to tell you which movie or when? No, no. So I'm taking this uh, as a, a source on the internet tells me that we're making a joke with his body pose. Okay, gotcha. But to me, I'm like the closest reference is that picture of Peter Griffin after he's like falling down <laughs> the stairs and his arm is like contorted behind him yeah. and he looks like he's dead. I'm like, yep, that's Dean. I, it's the same picture. <laughs> I love it because I, too, know exactly what Peter Griffin pose you're talking about. So that yeah. I can I, I can picture perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for that. I mean, Supernatural is the gift that keeps on giving. They're trying to reference something in the 80s and we're pulling it forward <laughs> in time. Like, is this what timeless cinema means? <laughs> so. So. Joe. Yeah. yeah. Dean gets up, he stretches, he's un- uncomfortably, and he asks Joe how she slept on that nice, big, soft mattress of hers. Uh, and she's just completely content. Um, she still is flicking around her knife in what seems to be an unconscious habit. Um, Dean calls her on it, kind of says, you know, if you're going to be playing with knives, you should have something better than that pig sticker. Like, here's a real knife to twirl around. And, um, so she hands over the knife she was playing with, and he sees the initials on the blade that have been engraved there. He realizes that it is her father's knife, and he apologizes. Yeah. William Anthony Harville. Yeah. And this is the moment that we were alluding to just ten minutes ago, um, where Joe wants to sort of bond over father feels. And so she asks Dean what's the first thing he remembers about John. And when Dean doesn't immediately answer, she has to kind of pry and prompt him again. Yeah, no, tell me, what's the what's the first thing you think about when you think of him? Yeah. And apparently so, it's... Trauma. Trauma. <laughs> like, finally, he tells her a story about when he was six or seven and John took him shooting for the first time. And Dean's saying that he bullseyed all the bottles along the fence and John would smile like, and Dean gets this wistful look on his face and just finishes, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Half sentences and half truths. Yeah. These happy memories where he's remembering, again, six or seven, when John took me shooting for the first time. What's the first thing you think about when you think about your dad? And it's it's this. And I'm thinking, what is this to dean he's he's six or seven just a few years after uh the fire 
John takes him shooting for the first time, and apparently Dean made his dad proud. He was a good shot in this moment. He he took out all the you know mm-hmm. bottles, shot them off the fence, bullseyed every one, and John was proud of him. But I'm thinking, what what does this mean to Dean? And to me, I think that to Dean, this means that this was the moment when John stopped treating Dean like a child and started treating Dean like a hunter. Mm-hmm. Now this was his, this was his orientation. This was the introduction of the, of, of, uh, uh, I don't know. This was the kickstart to everything, right? Where John told Dean to go shoot. And this was the moment where Dean where John deemed Dean ready to to start his training, right? I'd see that, yeah. And it it just it's the mo- I don't know. To me it's like the moment that Dean wasn't allowed to be a child anymore. I want to add old. to that. I want to add to that because I think that you're on the right track definitely. Um so just analyzing, again, the way that Jensen is performing as Dean in this moment. He's saying that John had this smile, but he can't finish what it was really describing. Yeah. And Joe tries to finish for him, being like, wow, John must have been really proud. But Dean scoffs at that. And so I look at that little one, two, three cha-cha right there yeah. as like... Dean himself was so proud of himself for being so young and being able to bullseye those things. But was John proud? I feel like Joe has misplaced where the pride was coming from. That Dean was proud of himself, but the look on John's face was more like, yes, I have something I can work with here. Yeah. Rather than, oh, my kid did awesome right off the bat. He's like, hmm, I have a good resource. Right. Smiling like what? Because Dean didn't finish his thought. So yeah. we get to finish the thought. Yeah. So th- for me, reading that here, it's like Dean thinks of this memory because he was so proud of himself for coming at this so naturally. Um, but I don't think that John necessarily fulfilled his half of you know, that bonding experience of mm-hmm. being proud in his kid because Dean seems to have cold feelings about this memory. And I think that you're right that it's John, like, with hindsight, Dean can realize that this is just the start of boot camp, basically. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know, good job, son. It was, you need to be better. You need to be better. And of course, I also think of Dean, six or seven, a gun put into his hands. Ugh. And I think of, um, in a later season, we see Bobby, who, in one of Bobby's core memories, he is chasing John out of the house and saying, he's a kid. You don't put a gun in his hands. You give him a baseball. Yes. Yes, that's the next layer to it, that Dean is not able to pull up 
early memories of playing games with his dad or having fun with his dad. It was work. Yeah. It was the earliest memory is, again, related to hunting. He can't... When he thinks of his dad, he doesn't think of his dad. He thinks of a hunter. Yes. And he's sad about that. Whereas Joe, in contrast, thinks of the dad that she gets back when the hunting job is over. Yes. Now Joe shares her, one of her core memories of her father. Yeah. Whereas for Dean, it's like, he never gets his dad back. He only gets the hunter version of John. Right. Right. Because what Joe remembers is her dad would go off on the hunts and it would just be Joe and her mom for a couple of days. But she remembers when Bill would come back home and she said that he would always burst into the roadhouse like Steve McQueen and sweep her up into his arms and twirl her around. And Ellen, who had been sour and pissed ever since Bill left, she would finally start smiling again and they would be a family. And that's the first thing that she thinks about with her dad. Them together in these happy memories of not of hunting, but just of them being a family. Yeah. Like his absence took away her mom as well because like you said, Ellen's terse. She's just snappish and she's not herself until bill comes back and then she starts smiling again and they become a family again yeah and again for joe you see genuine you know fondness and and happiness and um you see that this is a good memory and that she does have good peaceful and happy memories of her father where dean it's he he'd look more comfortable in a dentist's chair than he does sharing a memory of his dad yeah yeah and it's that contrast i think that makes this so interesting for these characters this episode because joe is sort of the early adventurer she's off on her journey and dean is the wizened adventurer being like no stay home turn back while you still can yeah like the nostalgia that you feel is lying to you yeah well but joe says after you know talking about bill and she admits you know bill she was very young when bill died and she doesn't she doesn't feel like she remembers much but she does remember being happy yeah. um and the reason why she says that's the reason why the reason why i want to do this job it's my way of being close to him i want to do it for him yeah yeah and it's just interesting that because she has distance from hunting that it is her approaching this job that builds that connection with her deceased father. Whereas, like, Dean, you don't see that same relationship with hunting, even though, ostensibly, John did even more to bond with Dean over hunting mm-hmm. than Bill did with Joe. I mean, I think about just a few episodes ago when 
Sam said something similar about John. John's dead. And Sam is now like dedicating himself to the life. And Dean's saying, what about school? What you, you couldn't wait to be out of here. Um, what's since when are you all gung ho for the job? And Sam says, well, it's what dad would have wanted. And Dean outright scoffs at that. Oh, this is what dad would have wanted. And you care about what dad would have wanted. And, and so, yeah, you wouldn't do the job because it's what dad wanted. Okay. Dad, Dean doesn't connect to that. That's not why he's doing the job. No. And again, you would think that of the characters that we've met, that Dean would be the one that'd be like, I'm honoring my father's legacy. So it's very interesting. And again, we have to remember in the back of our mind that John whispered something to Dean mm-hmm. before he passed. But even like before we know what that is, we would think that again, Dean would still be reverent of his father here. He would be the one that, is feeling his absence the most and he's definitely feeling it but it's not with any sort of fondness almost it's just with pain yeah yeah definitely yeah and again we we, like you said we have to we know that there's some tension there and this is kind of a this is kind of the um the thread that we keep plucking through the narrative what is that tension? What's going on here? What did John whisper to Dean before his passing? Yeah. So we are playing up that tension, but yeah. it does. I I still see it as, um, you know, Dean's working through a lot of complicated feelings regarding yes. his father. Yes. But at this moment, Sam does return, and he comes with news that another girl in the apartment building has disappeared. Yes. So they go down to apartment 2F. They find out a woman named Teresa was gone by dawn. Um, The apartment shows ectoplasm traces as well. Um, They are thinking it came from the walls, but knowing the history of the building... um, It just doesn't match. Yeah. So they go through the photos again. And Joe points out that the building next door to this one happened to be a prison that wasn't torn down until 1963. And as it turns out, the prison used to execute people by hanging them in the empty field next door, a.k.a. the location of this building. Yes. Before it was a warehouse, it was just an empty field, but not just any empty field. So, Ash has pulled a list of names of all the prisoners that were executed in this field, and everyone's eyes are kind of bugging out because there is 157 names on this list. So, how the hell are they going to narrow it down? Yeah, they're going to have to do a lot of grave di- digging, but uh, but they don't need to start doing research into every individual prisoner because one name sticks out like a sore thumb yes and our true crime girly sam ends up (laughs) recognizing the name herman webster mudget aka hh holmes yep who was executed at the moyamensing prison 1896 Mm mm-hmm 
And Sam is just awed that it's America's first ever serial killer. And <laughs> we get, again, another lore drop relating to him. But the essentials are that he used to use chloroform as his weapon of choice. That was the smell that Dean and Joe experienced in the hallway. And they can't salt and burn his bones since his body was interred in a couple tons of concrete to protect his corpse's dignity. Yes, he was afraid that someone would come and mutilate his corpse. Exactly what you're positing you do. Yes. But like this man liked to fuck up people's bodies and he's like, but I'm too good for that. <laughs> right, right. He was afraid of his own corpse being violated because that's what he used to do to the women that he tortured and murdered. And we talk about that. We talk about said torture and murder. We're going straight into true crime podcast yeah. voice here. Yeah. And this is, I think, again, just laying credence onto Sam's serial killer hobby interests that get kind of poked fun of in season 14 and in between now and then. That mm -hmm. what was maybe not part of his initial personality when they made the show, um, it definitely builds layers as um, certain episode events like this one take place. Right, right. So Sam, in his well of knowledge... Uh, he is, uh, talking about, you know, like we, we mentioned the chloroform, um, but the thing about H.H. Holmes is that he had, of course, his famous, um, hotel that he built and there were a lot of secret, uh, rooms in the hotel and Holmes essentially built in these, uh, torture chambers for the women that he kidnapped uh, into the walls of his infamous hotel and uh, even like under the floor of his infamous hotel. Mm -hmm. So that seems like the complicated, well, well, one more complicating factor. Um, some of the women that he took, he didn't kill them right away. He would keep them alive and until he was done you know, torturing them, but yeah. he could keep them alive for a couple of weeks uh, before he ultimately killed them. And so uh, this Teresa that was taken just last night, uh, she may not even be, she may not be dead. Maybe she's still alive somewhere in the building. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny that Sam is like, we have a bigger problem. We may not have a second victim. <laughs> I mean, I get what they're saying that, you know, we need to find her before time runs out. But I'm right. like, buddy, just an hour ago, you thought you time had run out. So really, it should be like, bonus, we maybe can rescue her. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But at any rate, they're like, okay, hidden chambers inside the walls. Dean calls for sledgehammers and crowbars and they're going to break into any part of the building that is thick enough to hide a person. Yes. And it sure is nice that, like, nobody lives in this building, nobody calls the building manager, <laughs> nobody is suspicious of these people walking around with, like, beeping devices, punching holes in the walls. They're the electricians. They're here to fix your broken outlets. 
If they were wearing a high-vis vest or, like, a helmet or anything, I would buy that they would get away with it. But that is not what we are seeing. No, we are no. seeing three residents run around destroying things. <laughs> well, next we see Dean and Joe in the walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, they've crowbarred and sledgehammered their way in. And they're giving us an alleged moment of sexual tension in <laughs> when Joe has to squeeze past Dean to continue on through a narrow part of the passage. And Dean makes a pipe cleaning joke. And again, bickering siblings. They're just sitting here elbowing each other. But hey, let's make a reference to Dean having a boner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Weird signals. I'm like, again, Supernatural, the television show. They do some things very consistently. Hey, the producer said that we need more romance, B. No, but they just... Jensen has so much chemistry with everyone, but it's like (laughs) strictly sibling chemistry here. So as Joe approaches the North Wall, Dean is reviewing the map, kind of following her on it. She ends up heading down an air duct, even when Dean is telling her not to. So he ends up backtracking to meet her on a different route. They are communicating via cell phone, and it is over that phone that Dean hears Joe scream as ectoplasm pours from the wall in front of her. And when Dean breaks into a wall where he thinks she should be, he cannot find her. And so he runs around, he ends up finding Sam, and cursing that he left Joe alone and now she's been taken. Yeah, yeah. All he found was her abandoned cell phone yeah and yeah so dean's worst fears have come true you know it we've gone from i'm not letting you out of my sight to i look away for one minute and she's dead she's dead yeah well so sam's trying to give dean perspective he's saying that if she's not in the walls then they have to reconsider the assumptions that they've made about the case so far so they go back to the apartment back to the drawing board But in this moment, Ellen calls back Dean. Um, She knows about Joe Ash folded like a cheap suit, as she says it. Yeah. And so she also knows that Dean lied to her and she demands to speak to Joe since she's not answering herself. Dean does not want to have this conversation. No. He, again, that recap we saw... They're again teasing the fact that he is a little intimidated by Ellen, maybe a little scared of her. And here he is this moment. He has to admit that she was taken by the spirit they're hunting. But he he promises she'll be okay. And Ellen is... Oh, she's she's going through it. Yeah. She She recoils at that promise. Yes, yes. You promise? You, You promise. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is not the first time she's heard that from a Winchester. And Dean doesn't get what she's talking about. And he doesn't get a chance to ask about it before Ellen hangs up, saying that she's going to catch the first flight out there. And, you know, we're going to have face-to-face issues in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Sam tries, again, reassuring Dean to not beat himself up. He points out that that Myrtle Castle, the hotel that you mentioned... Um, it had a basement, and this place has an old sewer system beneath it, 
So Dean doesn't need to be told any more than that. He's like, go. We're finding this. We're going to search it out. Yes. And meanwhile, Joe wakes up in a box. Mm-hmm. She's in a very cramped space. There is wood above her, complete with claw marks from previous inhabitants. She is very upset, but she is trying to be quiet in her panic. And when she peers out the side of this little confined space, she sees an open sewer area, I suppose, and across from it, when she calls out, she sees um, Teresa through a similar slot in the wall. Yeah, yeah. This this won't make you feel better, but I'm here to rescue you. Yeah. But in this moment, the spirit approaches and Teresa starts screaming. Joe looks out. She ends up getting grabbed and he pulls out a lock of hair. No, thank you. Yeah, I'll pass. This whole scene, I'll be like, mm, above ground, less hair touching, more <laughs> sanitary hand washing scenarios. Mm, well, yeah. above ground, we have Sam and Dean, who are now walking down the sidewalk <laughs> with a metal detector. Yep. The pavement, yep. on the pavement. Yep. They're walking along sidewalks, searching for the sewer entrance beneath them. And I'm assuming that Sam, being a little bit of a nerd, as soon as they pick this thing up, he's like, I'm turning it on and I'm walking with it turned on. I do not care that we are eight blocks away from our destination. We are scoping out this whole fucking way. Oh, God. I assume they're trying to, like, track the um sewer pipes to the sewer entrance but i yeah i just see little sam uh treasure hunting on a, a busy philadelphia street yep yep bystanders will definitely be scratching their heads as to what's going on here but when Sam and Dean get to the field that is presumably not too far from the warehouses slash apartments, old field. Um, they end up scanning and locating where to break ground to find an opening to the sewer and climb down into it with shotgun um, salt rounds ready. Yeah, they find the sewer hatch and they open it up and they get to peer down into the uh the tunnel with the with the dripping ladder and the CGI mm-hmm. bugs on the on the wall. I don't know if they're CGI cuz when I was reading the companion novel they were like so proud of themselves for catching that one shot where the cockroach goes into some of the set piece like it goes into that skull. They were like so proud of themselves for catching that on film i i I don't remember i don't remember that shot uh the skull with the uh from another one of the victims in the hatches yeah that they put up there i i'll have to watch that again to see that bug no i'm talking about they have very obviously cgi scurrying things on the walls of the sewer tunnel Um, well we have to make it look yucky somehow (laughs) that sam and dean are peering down on that's fair 
Just like they also used very bad uh, Philadelphia stock footage. Mm-hmm. At the beginning. It was... It was very um, familiar. Like, it felt a bit like seeing this Seattle stock footage of Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bless. So, while they're heading down, um, meanwhile, Joe is trying to bust out of her tiny cell, but she sees Holmes's mouth right against that tiny opening. He's murmuring that she's beautiful. She turns her back to that because, again, good instincts. I don't want to see that. But <laughs> it comes with the downside of when he reaches in again, he's able to caress her head, her neck, down her arm. It's very gross. And then she retaliates by stabbing him with her dad's iron knife. Pure iron, you creepy ass son of a bitch. How do you like that? Yeah. I'm like, you... Could have been just facing him and then swiping whenever he tried to grab at you, but I know as a viewer, we have to see something a little bit more sexually assaulty and creepy. Mm-hmm. Of course. I I do appreciate, though, that we have uh, Joe utilizing this actual, you know, hunter's knife, the, yes. the, the knife that her, Dean previously disparaged as a useless little pig sticker here take my machete yeah instead mine's bigger than yours so it's better yeah here she has her dad's small knife but it's still enough to protect her exactly sam and dean meanwhile are crawling down the sewer pipes looking for joe um joe meanwhile remains on watch for Holmes. Teresa is asking if he's gone, but Holmes ends up pulling free of Joe's hand and suffocating her with his. I think he just like catches her off guard because I think that Holmes, the ghost, dissipates with the strike of the iron and then um, he, uh, I don't know, maybe... Maybe he does make di- her like he disarms her, right? Disarms her, and then catches her off guard, knocks the knife away, and uh, without touching the knife. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and then begin like tries to suffocate her with his grimy, grimy hand over her face. Yeah. And let's just take a moment and be like, this ghost has some weird rules because he's very, very corporeal. I think, again, as they're saying, malevolent spirits that bleed ectoplasm are in this different class of they can be physical and respond to the physical world very consistently. And he's also able to um, make himself what's incorporeal. Yeah. And, you know, go through the grates, go through the walls and things like that. So it's, I don't know, it's the first that we've really seen a spirit like this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, well, yeah, I was going to say that the um, the portrait little girl ghost, she has her physical weapon of a of mm-hmm. of razor blade but the razor blade in of itself is just a manifestation of her uh ghostliness it, the, yeah. the razor blade isn't real it came out of the portrait it's how yeah. she man- she manifested herself with the the razor blade and we don't see her like 
caressing. Right, pushing people around. She's doing the whole, like, ghostly sonic attacks and stuff like yeah. that. But, um, yeah, I, I have mentioned before that we have, we, every ghost is, has been playing by a little different rules. Mm-hmm. We haven't really, the hook man, um, the girl, the, uh. Bloody Mary. Yeah, Bloody Mary and now Holmes, uh, we have introduced the concept of, oh, this is ectoplasm, you know? I've only ever seen this twice in all my years of hunting. Only a real bad mother bitch can make this stuff, so we have to be careful. This is, like, a very powerful spirit. Uh, so, so he's, yeah, he's definitely, um, well, he's giving Joe a run for her money. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to bring attention to the fact that this is the first time that we've seen a spirit really, like, relishing in the physical with their victims. I agree. With a level of sentience that, you know, he has two victims and he's keeping them alive for days. And, yeah, it's, they give us the explanation that he's malevolent to the degree of having ectoplasm, Mm -hmm. but... It is unusual enough that it like kind of takes you aback. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point too. That level of sentience that we yeah. haven't necessarily seen from spirits before—they're uh, stuck in their ways, they're stuck in their loops, or um, yeah, the opportunist. Like right. a moment comes and then they act, they complete the act, and then they wait for the next opportunity. Right. Whereas with Holmes, we've been given you know, point of view shots of the camera through the grates to get a perspective that he sees Dean and Joe. And when they remove the grate, he moves out of the way, but he still is watching them. Like, again, it's just that level of perception that has previously not been assigned to spirits necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. She's getting suffocated by Holmes's hand, and Dean fires his shotgun to dissipate Holmes and begins using a piece of rebar to free Joe from her cell. Sam, meanwhile, sees to Teresa as Dean helps Joe to her feet, and she is more than ready to bail, but Dean says they still need her to act as bait, seeing how it's their only plan to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know how I said earlier that you as bait was a bad idea? Now it's kind of our only idea. Yeah. So next we see Joe alone sitting in the middle of that uh, wide round sewer room that was Mm -hmm. uh, the chamber that uh, she was being kept in and the other victims were being kept in. there were those little, um, I guess boxes offshoots. that were lining, yeah, yeah, offshoots that were lining the walls of this of this chamber. But this is this is the wider chamber uh, that Holmes was keeping his victims in. Yeah, she's very scared as she's sitting alone in the center of that cell block, and she hears from behind Holmes approaching her, um, closes her eyes and waits for Dean's signal. Oh, Holmes is just hypnotized by Joe's luscious locks. Talk about sentience. Like, like, he, Blarf. <laughs> he Sorry, doesn't Remy, seem that to... phrasing. I was like, 
I'm feeling the bile in my body, and it disliked that sentence. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was good. Well, Holmes is not, um, he seems to be acting on instinct in this moment, right? He's not plotting. He's... No, he's a Looney Tunes character with hearts in his eyes going, awooga, awooga. Awooga, awooga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... He walks right into the trap, and at Dean's signal, Joe rolls away, gets out of the chamber, and um, Sam and Dean shoot out these sandbags or tarps that they have circling the chamber, and it drops pounds of salt, forming a perfect impenetrable salt circle spanning the whole uh, perimeter of the chamber. Yeah. My understanding is is that they had 90% of the salt circle complete, and then the tarp above the door, they were just waiting for Holmes to walk through before they would shoot the tarp laden with salt, and then it would drop and complete the circle, uh, blocking Holmes's exit. I only watched the episode three times, B. I don't know why you would expect me to notice I mean, such details they didn't do any zoom in or anything <laughs> they treated us like intelligent viewers and sometimes that's a mistake i but gotcha 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 holmes is trapped inside a salt ring and joe takes the moment to taunt him as he freaks out about it yell all you want but you're not stepping over that salt ring you're stuck here forever, forever, forever. <laughs> so they head back above ground and Joe has a moment alone with Sam where Sam is asking her if hunting is as glamorous as she thought it would be. Hmm, glamorous? No, but... Because of us, that Teresa girl is going to live her life, and we did that, and that's got to be worth it. Yeah. And she admits that it was terrifying, so, you know, it could... She'll have to weigh whether it's enough of a trade-off to, mm -hmm. you know, shit your pants every time you save someone, <laughs> if, it's, if it's worth it at that ratio. <laughs> But I mean, um, and she's doing good. I mean, this is totally beyond the point of the episode and um, and not where Joe is falling on the spectrum of things. But I mean, she is contributing already. Yeah. She held her own. And honestly, it's not her fault that she fits the victim profile. But even when she was captive, it's not like she gave up hope. She was still assuring Teresa that they were getting out of here. She didn't come here alone. She had faith that Sam and Dean would follow through. And all of those things were true, you know? She, she was in a bad situation, but she made it through. And she sees the light at the tunnel and she values it. You know, mm -hmm. we saved a girl. That is special. That is what the job's about. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more, like, with the... um with playing a support role in Harville's Roadhouse. 
I mean, Mm -hmm. she's putting together the research. She is um, facilitating with her mom this this communication network. And, okay, I'm I'm not going to do a 10-minute Hunter Hub. I'm not. Okay, I promise. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know. You said something like she has to weigh the pros and the cons of, you know, putting herself in these awful, dangerous situations, terrifying situations, and, um, you know, going out and doing good in the world and making a difference and actually saving people's lives which is which which is worth it um or is it worth it but when i said she's already contributing i mean she is she is she has been for years already mm-hmm. operating in the within the hunter society in a support role yeah or if she hasn't even been allowed to research because again ellen finds it really contentious that she even has a case that she's willing to go for um she's picked up enough from her environment to know how to do this and how to hone those skills for a supporting role it's just she has to decide whether that is enough for her to feel the connection with her father or if she you know can she respect that memory can she feel that again in a different way yeah yeah would it would it would it just be enough to do the research and um answer the phones and things like that or uh does she really get that uh fulfillment out of going out into the hunt herself and yeah uh taking a more active role in saving people hunting things yeah um as they are standing there she takes a moment to wonder you know is this case really done you know what if a storm comes in and washes that salt circle away but dean shows up in this moment with a cement truck which um Sam looks at as an answer to her questions. Yeah, Sam's like, yeah, good point. Those things could happen unless... Unless... And I'm like, this... Again, slight hole. They might have stolen a cement truck, but the cement truck that they've stole is not big enough to fill in that entire area Yeah, with cement. Um, yeah, but... It's it's a cute visual. It's not realistic, but I do like it and what it is symbolizing because we have Holmes's body interred in tons and tons of concrete, and here they are going to inter his soul in this place um, forever. Yes, yeah, that'll keep him down there until hell freezes over. Yeah, which <laughs> good joke, y'all. <laughs> You're going to find out about hell real soon. <laughs> You know what that line made me think of? Um, the uh, the ghost apocalypse. And I was trying... Like, how do they miss the opportunity to bring H.H. Holmes back? H.H. Holmes with a grudge. They What did they do? B- d- Jack the Ripper? I mean, I'm fine with them not bringing H.H. Holmes back. I get, like... What's it? I just get a little sketch vibes inside of myself. Whenever they reference, like, real-world things, I'm, like, trying to twist it to fit into the can of Supernatural. I'm, like, not about it. (laughs) It's not just this one. It's, like, when they time travel into, like, 
hey, I'm meeting so-and-so from the past. I'm just like, no, you're not a show that can pull this off. <laughs> I no, mean, but, bless your heart. But, but. With, with, with the ghost apocalypse, they have um, Jack the Ripper leading, like, a gang of vengeful ghost serial killers. I'm like, they should have, it should have been H.H. H. Holmes. I mean, yeah, but with he's like, sorry guys, I'm still stuck in concrete, like three states <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know Chuck would have done it. Chuck, uh, Jack the Ripper, you reminded me of that. <laughs> he was so bad. He wasn't and, even like, British. Sad clown honking noises. <laughs> and Just the actor know. wasn't even British. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. I like it again. <laughs> I thought it was like John Wayne Gacy or some shit. Like, oh, no, wait, sorry. He was season 14. Yeah. Oh, my God. Again. Again. Okay. We are in the Impala. We are driving back to Nebraska. Joe and Sam are in the backseat, and it <laughs> turns out Ellen is in the passenger front. Stony. Oh, it's, so stony silence. Is it is foreigners cold as ice. <laughs> Which Dean, trying to break the silence, turns on the radio and foreigners cold as ice gets yep. a couple of stanzas in and then uh, uh, Ellen just, oh, in the perfect mom move, flicks off the radio and is like, nope. Yep. <laughs> yep. She's not speaking, but nobody else is going to be enjoying this silence. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and I loved it because uh, Driver picks the music who? Yeah, honestly, it's like, Dean, I'm sorry, but all of your rules are gone now. You have a mom in the car with you. <laughs> you are just the bus driver commuting these three passengers back to Nebraska. Well, Ellen wasn't kidding about flying out, and now everyone's living with the consequences of their actions. Yeah. Joe and Sam are kind of looking at each other like, are we going to die? <laughs> <laughs> and Ellen just does not crack. It doesn't matter how Dean tries to kind of soothe the tension. Because you know how he is. He tries to placate people. He tries to bring... right. He tries to be the connective tissue to, that improves the situation, but there is nothing he can do. It is just going to be one terrible long drive. <sighs> These season two episodes have been such a gift because I forgot how much Samantha Ferris rocks. She <laughs> is amazing. She kills it every time. I I don't have words because I love her more than uh, pretty much any actor on the show so far. I'm just like, Ellen brings such a great dynamic to the show that has been missing up to this point. You know, we get the occasional flashes of some no-nonsense female character. Like, we get Missouri for a half beat, but we don't get sort of this presence that remains that 
kind of puts the boys back into their environment in the greater world, like plucks them out of the hunting world and puts them down. It's like, you are 22 and 26 respectively. Like, you know (laughs) fuck all about this world. Yeah. You are going to sit and you're going to listen. Yeah. Yeah, dreamy sigh. Yeah. Oh my god. I just love her. The she she plays it so well. Like you said, the dynamic that she brings is just gold, and it she's simultaneously this you know hard, no nonsense woman, but then she is a mother through and through, and she's like, okay, hun, you know, <laughs> she's so soft. Like with she didn't. Too. She didn't sit in the back seat with Joe. She took the passenger because she's like, I'm, I may not be behind the wheel, but I am driving. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Driver does pick the music. Yep. I mean, and she said, not today. <laughs> so it's morning. We're at the roadhouse and Ellen has hauled Joe inside. Dean tries taking the blame, saying that he lied and he's sorry for it. But Joe did good and would make would have made her dad proud, which Ellen just cannot abide by hearing, especially not from Dean. Yeah, yeah, you don't get to say that to me, not you. Yeah, she excuses herself with Joe alone, and Sam and Dean leave. Joe tries calming her mom, pointing out that hey, she's alive. But Ellen yells about Sam and Dean using her as bait. That Joe doesn't have the sense to do this job, seeing how she trusted them. And Ellen says, like father, like sons, that's what I'm talking about. And she chokes up and Joe catches on as to what she's implying. Yeah, she's, I mean, Ellen, again, the way that Samantha's playing this is just great. Um, But Ellen's getting progressively more emotional. um, And she it kind of accumulates into this like like father like sons that's what i'm saying moment and it is something that she didn't mean to put so much venom behind and she didn't mean to let slip out and yeah. but joe presses her to elaborate what do you mean what do you mean you mean john i thought you were friends what what's going on what aren't you telling me Yeah. And Ellen does agree that they were friends, but, and Joe has to press and to convince her to speak and finish what that but is implying. Mm -hmm. And I like that even in this moment, again, with the, like, you can tell that um, even though John and Ellen had had this history and this strained relationship and they, um, and if, you know, and what we're learning today is that John seemed to be involved in or even the cause of uh, Bill's death, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in just a second. So I'm totally jumping the gun. But um, that is, you know, the secret's out. Uh, but even with that tragic history, Ellen doesn't mean to blame Sam and Dean for that. She doesn't want to, but it is a heavy history. 
Yeah, you can see she's caught up in this moment, that she's not reacting to the present. She's reacting to the past and what could have been the future. Yes. She might have been able to handle Joe being on a case with somebody else. Doubtful. But she especially cannot handle Joe being in that dire situation relying on Sam and Dean to save her. Right, right. Um, Joe, well, Ellen doesn't blame the boys for what happened with Bill and John, but she, but she wouldn't so easy she wouldn't so readily trust them yeah which is i feel it's doing a little bit of bullshit like we just came off of an episode where ellen is like we need to trust each other we need to lean on each other we need to inform each other to keep each other safe and yet she's gone through this whole episode hiding that history yeah like she doesn't reveal why she has so many issues, but it's leaking out from her in the way that she responds to Dean on the phone and when he says things that he has no idea would push a button for her. Right. So there's a little bit of, like, I feel like she is blaming Sam and Dean, but she is doing it because John's not there to blame. Like, I, she's not doing it actively she's doing it instinctively right right i mean and she and she i i'm just saying that she realizes that she's doing it and she realizes that it's unfair Uh, yeah i i just don't feel that she cares that it's unfair i guess she's like yeah it's not fair but i'm still yelling at sam and dean to get out like i'm still mad at them like she's not talking to Sam and Dean. She doesn't go to them at all and been like, hey, I'm sorry. Sins of the father. I've been holding you accountable. What she says is, like father, like sons. Like, I feel like... But she immediately she's follows having that double up with... Think no, like, it. I didn't... I didn't mean it like that. Like, I... I n- no. She literally says I didn't mean it like that. Which, I mean, so, she is getting overwhelmed by... Yeah. She she is letting her personal history um, seep into her reactions yeah. here. And she is lashing out. And you're right, it is unfair. Especially since, it, like you said, we just had the, conver- the same conversation in Simon Says um, with Dean and Sam... Uh, you know, it's not just your personal history. This affects all of us and we need to be honest and open with each other. And now she's letting, she's letting the same thing happen here. Uh, I, I, I really, I just think that she, I don't know the next time that we're going to see Ellen. I mean, I don't know the next time that we're going to see, uh, yeah, Ellen and Sam and Dean together, but I think that she is the woman that's going to go outside and is going to apologize um, for how for for how she was lashing out. Yeah, we don't see it happen here right now, but she's she's upset with like, yeah, she orders Dean and Sam to 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 leave, go outside because she needs to have a moment alone with Joe. Uh, and she is, she is angry and she is 
you know, I would say rightfully angry at the boys. I mean, they did lie to her and, 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 but she, every time that she has lashed out or let that history seep through, she's, um, she's tried to, like I said, I just think that she recognizes that it's, it's the, it's wrong of her to do that. I think she's of two minds of it. And because it's tearing at her, she kind of flips between the two. I don't think that she necessarily has like a cognitive Mm -hmm. hold on what's going on. Like it's all instinctive of what we're seeing in her. She's instinctively responding to that history that John, um, that Sam and Dean inspire about John. And she also, I think, feels guilty maybe for doing that. But I don't think that she's the type that would go and say sorry right away. I think she's a little prideful Mm -hmm. and it would take a bit to wind her down to a place where she could process what's going on and separate Sam and Dean from John. Right, right. I'm Now I'm trying to think of when we next see everyone together and if we're just going to kind of glaze over this which i think that we do i think that ultimately we're we're leaving um we're we're putting it out on the table here but we're not going to be sitting down and having some more you know deep conversations about it like you said of apologies and, and 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 such but i i now am anxious to see uh what kind of tensions or you know if there's no tensions and we're just dropping it uh but what kind of tensions they're going to bring into the next episode that we see everyone together i hate to say it remy but i think they're just gonna drop it like that's that's the story of supernatural these compelling threads that just get left on the wayside yeah well, we have to start somewhere. Season two is a good place to do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Joe has convinced Ellen to speak, and the next we see her is outside with Sam and Dean. She storms out of the roadhouse. She crosses by them without a word, and Dean follows her and asks what happened. And Joe yells him off, but admits that on her dad's final hunt, he atypically took a partner, figuring that he could trust this guy, but the guy screwed up and got Bill killed. And we discovered that this guy was John. And that's why John never came back to the Harvells. He couldn't look Ellen in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe just just doesn't want to be around uh, Dean and Sam right now. And no. And now we know the real history behind the Winchesters and the Harvilles. Yeah. She tells Dean to get out of here. Please just leave. Yeah. And she walks away. And Dean is left looking like the revelation is hard to swallow. Because mm. again, this episode we had Joe trying to almost bond with Dean over their shared dead dads. And then here she is having that almost slapper in the face that, oh yeah, that guy's dad, he's the reason why you don't have yours. Yeah. 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 And John's just getting some 
awesome spices. He's getting some good flavoring of... (laughs) (laughs) What a dick. Well... I wish I wish that we knew more. I wish that we knew more about what happened, and and I wish that, um, I don't know, because I'm thinking of, um, a couple of things here. We saw in uh at the end of season one where John wanted to separate from the boys to go and meet meg uh walking right into a trap but uh he's telling the boys no you can't come with me i need to do this on my own because if i if i don't go on my own then i can't operate how i need to operate with you with me uh so there's that and we speculated that Mm -hmm. there's just a level of um cal calculating this calculating ruthlessness that comes over john um in the hunt that we're just getting a glimpse of in that scene uh in that episode and then i'm also thinking of bloodlust and how sam calls ellen and asks about gordon and ellen says yeah great hunter uh why Why do you ask? Well, we're on a hunt together. Oh, no. You do not want to be on a hunt with that man. Mm-hmm. Great at his job, but doesn't care about who he hurts to yeah. see the monster dead. Collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, so, I I don't know. I just think about what, what, what kind of... A year ago, if one of Ellen's regulars were to call her up and say, Hey, I just met John uh on the road here what's his deal mm-hmm. uh, she'd be like known fucker get out of the same state as him do not be near do not pass go do not collect 200 dollars like get out i don't know but then we also you know on the first episode that we introduced ellen just like yeah we were friends yeah john's a good man i mean what happened did he really i mean i i'm inclined to believe that it was like something happened it was a mistake uh but it's not like it wasn't it wasn't like um yeah i don't think it was uh, active malicious no and i don't think that yeah no and i don't think that john in general would resort to you know gordon levels of ruthless ruthlessness when it (coughs) When it comes to other people, and I hope that cough was not you suppressing a laugh at my no, no, naivete. that was me inhaling so sharply that I like nearly wounded myself because I was like, <laughs> Remy, remember how we talked about on episode eighteen last season about whether or not John could use his own sons as bait? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember, babe. <laughs> like again, I feel. Like, some of these characters are really compelling because they have these contradictory layers. Right. And it takes a talented actor to pull that off. And, I mean, I am not John's fan by a long shot. I'm not in the fan club, anything. But he still is an interesting character to see these contrary pieces of his nature overlap. And so, because there's so many contradictions in him, I almost appreciate that it is left 
unsaid what exactly went on yeah because that leaves it to your interpretation was he genuine in trying to save bill but could not in the moment or was he cold and calculating and this was a necessary risk yeah because it's not said we're allowed to bring our own interpretations to it and i find that to be really compelling as a narrative yeah yeah that open to interpretation allows me to go on a four minute rant like is it this or is it this or yeah is it that? exactly whereas if they came out and was like john and bill were hunting a werewolf and then the werewolf jumped at john <laughs> and bill pushed john out of the way yeah. and john was like I'll return the favor next time. And then a second werewolf came out. And then Bill was like, John. And then John was like, actually. And then left. And like, I mean, it's not the same story whatsoever as, you know, something bad happened and Bill didn't make it out. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> I mean, hire me. You should be a storyteller. Hire me show that hasn't been making episodes actively for two years. <laughs> oh, God. <coughs> no. Now I got you. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Let's get our coughs out and then I can cut it all at once. <laughs> okay. Cute. Oh, boy. Well. 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 I mean, okay, my takeaway, I think, is that this show, this episode highlights what the show could have been with an ensemble cast. Because this episode, I was reading, I was like, how come Jared is, like, not in this episode? Mm -hmm. And basically, they gave him some additional time off to heal up his arm. So it became about Dean and Joe and Ellen. In this episode. And again, it's just those dynamics. You're talking about what Samantha brings to the table. And getting that sibling banter between Joe and Dean. Like, all of those elements, we get to see different facets of the characters. We get to see Dean and Sam being the scolded school boys in the (laughs) Impala on a terse drive back to Nebraska. We get all of these things that Sam and Dean can't bring out of each other by nature of their own relationship. So I really like what this episode did. Like we got to compare and contrast Dean's feelings about John versus Joe's feelings about Bill and get the facets about Dean's character in that way. And then also get this greater lore that impacts John and the boy's interpretation of their father. Yeah. And you just don't get that with Monster of the Week. Random character of the week. Even though this is a Monster of the Week, they make it interesting by introducing different dynamics. Or expounding on different character dynamics. Yeah, and like having a secondary character that when we get backstory related to them, we care you know, mm-hmm. because we've seen Joe and Ellen a couple times already. So when it comes time to hear about their tragic backstory, we're more invested than, you know, this is the blonde man of the week and the brunette man of the week. And this is what <laughs> they're telling us. Like, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that that wounded noise I made at the beginning of your uh, takeaway was me mourning the forever what could have been because so often Supernatural dips their toes into the ensemble format and then promptly recoils. And then like over prunes. It's like it has to shear away the supporting cast to remind themselves, no, this is what we want rather than what would you grow and become without that pruning? Yeah. And just just when you think that they are actually letting l- letting the um show grow organically and letting the format change in season 12, 13, 14, 15 um allowing the ensemble and the different dynamics to uh take more of a for forefront mm-hmm. of the narrative uh they they just i don't know they still they still just had these big purges where they're like nope you cared about this character no nope. yeah back to back to basics team free will maybe yeah. two, team free will 2.0 if you're lucky yeah and like the most egregious example of that is the finale it is. And, like, we won't get into it, but it is the the final form of this no supporting cast, just the brothers. And, like, if that's the concluding story for them, why are you so invested in adhering to that rule? Yeah. Yeah. What was the, well, what was the last 15 years for? But Yeah. What are you actually telling us? If that's what you are so adherent to. Mm-hmm. What about you, Remy? What's your final takeaway? Oh, what is my final takeaway? Um, oh, I also wanted to say that it, 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 yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about it much and like through going through the episode because it didn't you know it doesn't really come up. But Sam was a very background character in the episode. I think that Jared had maybe four lines. Yeah. Yeah, he had some reaction shots, and then it was like, he's going to get coffee. Goodbye. (laughs) So it was very Dean and Joe heavy, and and Joe and Ellen heavy. Uh, So I noticed as well that further down the line, it becomes common that, you know, you you see... less of Dean in this episode. You see less of Sam in this episode. Mm-hmm. Less of Cass. Uh, but uh, this is... it. it, it I noticed uh, in this episode 6 of season 2 that, oh, Sam's not really around. I think this is the first time that he mm-hmm. has played something of a secondary role yeah. in an episode. Any, either, either Sam or Dean. Has played something yeah. a secondary role. Yeah, and it was striking enough that mm-hmm. we catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, except for the murderous uh, portrait child episode where Sam was, where it was very Sam-centric and he was going on his dates with Sarah Blake and Dean was living his best life as a background extra <laughs> Yes, he was finally getting to be a wingman to his brother. That was good. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm stalling. Can you tell that I'm stalling? 
I mean, I could tell a little bit. Do you want me to talk about coughing again? I could cough some. <laughs> no, no, no. What's my takeaway? My takeaway is that I actually can honestly say that I didn't have much of a takeaway until we started talking about the episode and we got to work through the episode together and uh, do a a deep dive into it. Because watching the episode, I was just like, yeah, it's a monster of the week. It's good. It's, you know, we get to see Joe. We get to see Dean. Um, Love Ellen, as always. Uh, But ultimately, monster of the week. And a kind of weak one at that. But uh, getting to get together and talk to you, I could, I could see that the, um, that the point of the episode was to make Dean and Joe mirrors of their own fathers. Mm-hmm. That's and, a good way of putting it. And we see where they alternately fit and break the mold. Like, Joe remembering her father in this joyful way and then approaching hunting from a objectively, like, pure uh, motive in, in, in wanting to uh, get into hunting to be close to her father and wanting to get into hunting because it's, it, it does good in the world versus Dean, who just remembers most um becoming the soldier and being yeah. the soldier and you see dean burdened by his legacy yeah and that's that's the only choice he ever had and it wasn't a choice at all yeah um so there there's that and then there's also uh the the parallels of course in the case itself and you know uh I promise I won't let Joe get hurt. That's not the first time I've heard that from a Winchester. Yeah. The promises of Winchesters are cheap. Yeah. And the whole sins of the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, especially especially seeing Joe um, kind of be the mirror to Bill and how Bill is painted as this, you know, just happy innocent. and innocent and um family man and he was he was basically like everything that john couldn't be and now dean is um dean has been forced into this box that he's looking at joe who has everything that dean wants and can't have which is a choice yeah and i don't know i'm making absolutely no sense i'm just saying words but (laughs) (laughs) But there are parallels, I promise you. Yeah, and I do like that idea that they are echoes of their parents. Like, you you don't get to just exist in a vacuum. You have the history that comes with your name. And we're seeing, you know, parts of that history that Sam and Dean may not even know are there, but... Um, that influence because I mean this show is all about the way that the decision making of parents and individuals impact the people around them like that's Mm -hmm. it that's the show and this is just giving sort of the first tippy toes into 
that type of plot line. Yep. Yeah. So even with just two key conversations, the 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 nugget wrapped up in the vaguely cringy H. H. Holmes <laughs> chocolate wrapper. <laughs> I'm so bad at metaphor. <laughs> and you know it. <laughs> I do like the idea. Sometimes I try. Of, like the sweet little nougat bar and then like this <laughs> crusty, dusty, like <laughs> sarcophagus level paper wrapped around it. And it's like So you get the image. Oh, but you gotta touch it to get into <laughs> it. You gotta you gotta experience the mortifying ordeal of getting mummy dust on your fingers if you want the nougaty goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> you gotta dig I for it. it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so next week. Next week. Next week, we're talking season two, episode seven, The Usual Suspects. As I let slip earlier, another of my favorite ensemble characters is being introduced. Is it? Isn't. Am I crazy? Or is this where Victor comes in? No, it's Linda Blair. I'm a dumbass, but <laughs> you're you're ahead of the game, is what you are. Yeah, we'll call it that. Yes, I I I caught the um a few opening seconds of this episode, and um it was a detective looking fellow in a bullpen like <laughs> he's calling himself what this time oh <laughs> so i figured that it was um the introduction of mm. um the you know bringing sam and dean down to the real world they are operating in the real world and they are uh and I thought that they were tracking the Winchesters is what that I see copy like character was doing. But anyways, no. I'm just uh, I'm I'm wrong, so you don't have to listen to any of this. <laughs> no, we get an exorcist cameo next week. Oh, okay, okay, yes. okay. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, this has been season two, episode six, no exit. No exit thank you guys for listening we have had so much fun talking with you we hope that you've enjoyed it and uh if you would be so kind as to like subscribe leave us a comment at your podcast host site of your choice it helps us so much at reaching a larger audience and we see you and we love you yeah, and if you guys aren't ready, or if you guys aren't up for leaving a comment, even just a five-star review would do wonders for us. Um, we are small, but we are mighty, and we just appreciate everyone who is here. Yes. Alrighty, we shall see you next time. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.